Good evening and welcome to our evening service at Beckles Baptist Church Online. Uh, my name is Peter Skerritt, uh, the assistant pastor at this church, and it's a pleasure to welcome you online, and we're really glad that you found us. I don't know uh, what uh, week you've had, what day you've had. That's one of the problems, isn't it, online, where we, we can't feed back on how things have gone. I don't know whether it's been a good week, uh, or a hard week, or, or a frightening or worrying week. Now, this week I stumbled across Psalm 131, and we're going to read it together to start our service for me, it was a great reminder of the anxieties that we may well face and yet the contentment we can find in our God. So let's read it together. It's going to come up on the screen and then we'll pray. Psalm 131, a song of a sense of David. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quietened myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's pray as we begin our time together. Father, we know just from the week behind us that there are many things uh, beyond our control that might uh, weigh us down or worry us. And yet ultimately this psalm reminds us that many things are just above our pay grades, not things that we can control, not things that we can order or move or change. And so we are content because we know they're in your hands and we're in your hands. We pray that you might use this time together tonight around your word as we sing your praises, as we speak to you in prayer and cast our burdens on you. Please use them to make us content as we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to turn to sing uh, straight away. Uh, a great song, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say, which is what we want to do as Christians. We think as we open up the Bible uh, that we're actually hearing Jesus speak to us. So use it as a, a song uh, to prepare your hearts as we come to his word. Uh, but also a reminder and a response that as he calls, uh, we come in trust.
going to turn now to our reading before I uh, preach from this passage. We're in 1 John and chapter 4 uh, verses 1 through 6 and Matthew Oxley is going to give us this reading. This comes on the back of John ex- explaining what it's like to be children of God and he's wanting to encourage the church he writes to but in this passage he turns to warn them too. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Well, if you haven't got your copy of God's Word open, a Bible on your lap, uh, let me just encourage you to to press pause and go and get one. We're going to need it as we look at these words together. But let's ask God's help before we turn to it. Father, we thank you so much for the Spirit of Truth who inspired these words, writing uh, through John, uh, but giving us the very words of God. We pray that today, tonight, he might illumine our minds, shine a light that we might understand, that we might be protected, that we might be encouraged and that we might leave as confident Christians, firm on the gospel, firm in faith in Jesus. Amen.
In April 2001, Carl Power joined the Manchester United starting lineup uh, at the photo shoot before their Champions League game against Bayern Munich. In August 2001, Carl Power walked onto the pitch at Headingley uh, wearing full England cricket kit and the regulation helmet to replace the dismissed Marcus Truscoffic. And in July 2002, Carl Power beat Michael Schumacher to the British Grand Prix podium. Now, Carl Power was an imposter. He was a blagger, a prankster. He obviously had the gift of the gap, managing to get himself into situations uh, that he had no right to be in. He's not a professional footballer or cricketer or uh, F1 driver, but he managed to get on to each of those scenes. He was a prankster, an imposter. Harmless, to be sure, uh, but still a, a prankster and an imposter, pretending to be something that he wasn't. Now, of course, he's a harmless imposter, but we know, if you were just to type into Google, uh, that imposters can not just be harmless. Some imposters, pretenders, can be deceitful and dangerous, possibly even deadly. You just need to type into Google uh, the number of people who have committed crimes impersonating policemen. You see the, the variety and the number of crimes and you realize that actually imposters can be dangerous. And so identifying these kind of imposters is vital. Now in the situation that John is writing to, in this letter as he writes to a church, he's saying very much that, that identifying imposters is vital. Now especially in the wake of a church split which seems to have gone on in this situation, perhaps in Ephesus, uh, where different ideas and teachings are flying around, well, John writes to this church and says that you need to identify imposters, pretenders. That's what we've got here, chapter 4, verse 1. If you've not looked at the Bible before, we're in the big number, chapter 4. And the first line, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The command is this, identify imposters. We've got a do and a don't. Do, do and don't. Don't believe everything they say and do test everything they say, everything you hear. Now, why are they to not believe everything they hear and to test everything they hear? Well, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Or as another paraphrase of this passage puts it, not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying prophets loose in the world. Now, it was vital for this church to identify the true from the false, the imposter from the true gospel preacher. And it is vital for us too today. But if... I'm honest, and I imagine if you're honest with yourself, it's not often a live concern for us. It doesn't really seem to, to kind of function on our radar to, to discern truth from falsehood. Uh, for one thing, it's just easy to leave this kind of testing to those uh, kind of whack jobs who, who set up YouTube channels and make home, home videos about any Christian preacher who said anything wrong, and they just want to kind of dismiss anyone and condemn anyone to hell because they said something wrong. But that's clearly not what John is talking about. 
But John says we actually need to be doing the job of identifying imposters ourselves. It's difficult for a couple of reasons, I think. Firstly, it might be that your church background makes this a slightly odd command. If you've been blessed with Bible teaching, maybe in your church or your church circles, then the idea that other churches might well not have that might seem strange, just, just not familiar. The, the idea that some churches actually don't seem to preach the gospel at all. Maybe your church background seem, makes it seem that this isn't really necessary. Then there's our cultural background, the kind of the world that we find ourselves in right now, which again makes this command to identify imposters just seem a bit strange and alien and, and awkward. For one thing, it's not normal, is it? Pluralism reigns where, where everyone is right and no one is wrong. And, and the idea of objective truth where something is right and something is wrong, well, that is so last century. It's not normal to say something's right or wrong. But it's not particularly nice, is it? That's, that's another thing that our culture will have a problem with. And, and we may well find that ourselves. There's one uh, Christian rapper quipped, the only heresy now is saying that there is heresy. It's not normal and it's not nice. But John is saying here, identifying imposters is necessary. This is John. John, the apostle of love, who calls us to love in chapter 3, is also the apostle of truth in chapter 4, who commands us to discern, to test you, me, every Christian. This is our job. It's not just for the elders and the leaders and the pastors and the preachers. In fact, if you're listening in, and perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, And you're thinking, well, what's this going to do with me? Well, actually, this is a a call for you too. Because if you're here and you're you're looking into Christianity, it's great that you're here. But you're going to hear a whole load of different ideas about what Christianity is. And so you also need to just be aware, how do I discern what is the imposter, the fake, the pretender, from what is the real and the genuine article? So I'm really glad that you're here. We've got two things to look for as we identify the imposter. Two, if you like, quick credential checks. If someone turned up in your door and said, I'd like to come in, you'd probably ask them for their credentials. Just things to check out. And there are two things in this passage. The, f- the first is the major bulk of it, and the second just flows from it. And the first thing to check is this. For imposters, their message is contrary to the apostles. Just look down with me. Verses two to three, the little number two. John writes this, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. This is how you can test and identify imposters. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. What makes anti-Christ teaching, that is, what anti-Christian teaching, a message contrary to the apostles, that is, to Jesus' appointed teachers and, and eyewitnesses? Now, this group of disciples that Jesus is referring to are, are those authors of the scriptures we have before us in the New Testament. 
And they were given Jesus' kind of divine stamp of approval on earth as he gathered them round and taught them. They saw what he did. They heard what he said. They get the divine stamp of approval on earth. And then as Jesus rose to heaven, well, they get the spirit of truth from heaven. And those two factors combined mean these apostles, they have Jesus' divine stamp of approval. They speak from God. They speak for God. And John just rams home that point in verse 6 at the end of this little section. He says this, We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Falsehood meaning not just wrong. The idea is deception and deceit and error and wandering away. That's how we spot it. So the point is this. Anyone who contradicts and contests with the apostles' message cannot be from God themselves. Because God doesn't have two contrary messages. So you've got to work out which one is from God. Now, you'll have noticed if you look down in verses 2 and 3 particularly that John has one particular element of this message in mind, a vital element for sure, Jesus. In verses 2 to 3, confessing that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is crucial and contradicting that is fatal. For John, um, if you were here a couple of weeks ago with us in chapter 2, we saw that statements like this, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, are like a shorthand summary for the whole gospel message, a snappy uh, summary, like uh, we live in a tweet culture. It's kind of a one-liner that's meant to make us think of the whole, of who Jesus is, and what he did, and why he came. It's like a, like a hyperlink where we're meant to click on it in our mind and go back to John's gospel and think, ah, that's what he means. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Now, all of this reminds me of a recent news story uh, in the press in It took place in Valencia, uh, where a 17th century painting of Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, was taken to a furniture restorer's uh, by a private owner uh, to be restored, touched up, looked after. Well, when this painting was returned to the owner, after paying the princely sum of over £1,000 to get it restored, uh, the owner was probably wishing that he hadn't sent it back. They had managed to kind of mess it up. And so he he sent this painting back. He said, you've messed up the face. You you need to sort it out. Well, at this point, when he receives the painting back from the restorer again, he was definitely wishing he'd just done it himself or got someone else to do it. The results were monstrous and not at all what he had started with. As one art professor commented on it, he said, I don't think this guy or or these people should be referred to as restorers. Let's be honest. They're bodgers who botch things up. They destroy things. But John could say that of these imposters. He could say, I I don't think they should be referred to as preachers and teachers and those people who are speaking for God. Let's be honest. They're imposters. They're bodgers who, who botch things up. They destroy things. These are preachers and teachers and even just Christians who are supposed to be painting this picture of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and they disfigure it beyond all recognition. And that is why John is so concerned for this. 
He's not just on a kind of heresy hunt. See, the, the apostles have delivered to us in the scriptures this, this beautiful portrait of Jesus Christ in the gospel. John's summary is this, Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Jesus Christ, he, he came from heaven where he was the eternal son of God in joy and love. And he came from heaven and he came to earth and he took on our humanity. And he, he came and lived our life, the perfect life that we couldn't live. He came to die the death that actually we, you and I deserved but couldn't face and endure, the wrath of God. He, he then came, to, came in the flesh to rise again, to, to secure that future, the living hope, the hope of living beyond the grave. He came to save sinners like you and me in danger. And he came to call every one of us. This all builds up to a priceless picture a precious gospel, Jesus Christ came in the flesh. We're meant to have this amazing portrait in our eyes. And John is saying, can't you see? If you let them get their hands on it, they will botch it beyond all recognition. And this priceless picture will become a worthless scrap because they have changed it and tweaked it and destroyed it. Imposters are dangerous. So John is saying, when, when someone makes Jesus just a, a divinely inspired life coach, or even an archangel on a par with uh, Archangel Michael, as the Jehovah's Witnesses do, they're taking the picture and marring it beyond all recognition. When someone makes Jesus to death and resurrection just one way to secure eternal life and is uncomfortable about saying that um, that is the only way, well, they are distorting and destroying the picture the presentation of the gospel. When someone insists that that Jesus came to give you your best life now, a happier life, a happier home, a stronger relationship, a better job, or even just a a more full wallet, or um, a clean bill of health. And you see, none of these things are in the original picture, and then you try and add them to the gospel, and they destroy it. Imposters, botchers, whatever you want to call them, they're dangerous, and so we need to identify them. And perhaps some of you are kind of nodding along, thinking, well, yeah, of course. And if someone came and told me that, I'd be like, on your bike. But the thing is with these imposters, uh, that they can be hard to spot, and which is why John is commanding it. It wouldn't be easy. If, well, if, if he's commanding it, it shows it's not easy. Because no one with any sense who wants to teach you something contrary to the apostles is going to get up and preach openly in the church and say, actually, you know, the apostles are wrong, but you should believe me instead. No one would say, well, the New Testament letters you've got here, but they, they were mistaken and misguided, and it's all bound by their culture. No, it's much cleverer than that, and it's therefore harder to spot. Just a few examples of the way that people teach, because it's not just what people teach but it's also how they teach it that we need to be on the lookout for. People can teach through fiction and books and novels. Take, for example, uh, The Shack, uh, which I received a copy of from my family members when it first came out. Uh, It was a book. Um, Now it's a movie. And it's, I think, a very popular movie. And just flicking through it again, it just reminds me of of how uh, emotional and powerful the story is. Stories like this, the fiction they, they kind of tug on your heartstrings. And it really is it, a sad story in many ways. It kind of tugs on your heartstrings, but the danger is more. 
because it will ultimately tug you away from the apostles' message. And you don't even realise it. It's kind of imperceptible, just very gently just tweaking, challenging your views of God and of sin and of salvation. And of course, we can't challenge it because remember, it's just a story. It's just fiction. I'm not trying to make a point, the author would say. But of course he is. And people are believing it and following it. People can teach through fiction and novels. Uh, people can also teach through biographies and testimonies and life stories. That's really common at the moment. Whether it's in a book or in a blog or anything like that. Uh, we love stories. Uh, I'm sure you've read some biographies before. Why do people like soap operas? Because we love following people's stories, ups, the ups and downs. Now, as we read a story, a biography, we begin to connect with people. And then we feel compelled to trust them more because it's in the form of a story and we see who they are. But one recent biography that Alice and I were reading together uh, was quite disturbing. You see, the message, the lifestyle that was being taught in this book, this biography, well, if someone had stood up in Beckles Baptist Church and preached it, we would not have given it any time. But the fact that it comes in a biography, it means it's much harder to ignore and dismiss. So when a message is woven into somebody's story, it's really hard to disagree because as soon as you disagree with someone's message and it's in a story form, you end up looking like you're just dismissing the person at all. And of course, that's not what we want to do. It is possible to love somebody and disagree with them. But when you combine the story and the teaching together, it's very hard. People can teach through fiction. People can teach through biographies. But actually, people can teach through music and songs too. That was right from the very beginning in the early church. Songs were a great force for remembering and teaching, for good and for bad. And so we just need to be aware, don't we, that actually Christian songs and Christian bands are not necessarily Christian songs or Christian bands. Just as Christian preachers aren't necessarily Christian. And that's not nice to say or to hear. But John says, chapter 4, verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now that's the first credential check and very much the main point. But the second check the second um, credential check of an imposter uh, really just flows from this point, and it's this. Their message is consumed by the world. Verses 4 through 6, just look with me. John continues in verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. That is, John is writing to the, this church and saying, you, I'm really confident that you're doing really well. You are children of God, and you've overcome these false teachers in that you've not been moved, you've not gone with them, you've not left the church, you've not left the gospel. You have overcome them because the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. They, these teachers, are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now, in this 
short section by world, John doesn't mean that the kind of global international community around the world, around the globe. By world, John in his gospel and in this letter, John means a hostile humanity, kind of united against God. So it's not about international flavor or community or diversity. (laughs) There's real unity in this, that this world is united against God. It is shorthand for people who are against Christ, who don't trust him. Again, one paraphrase put it like this. These imposters who, who say that they speak for God, they talk the world's language and the world eats it up. Their message is consumed by the world. Now, we wouldn't deny, would we, that many of us live in echo chambers. That idea where we surround ourselves with um, voices and opinions and news that really kind of resonates and chimes with what we already think or, or what we already want to think. The newspapers that we read, the radio shows we listen to, the TV that we watch, podcasts that we might tune into, or magazines that we might have a subscription to, by and large, they will tend to enforce the opinions that we already have, the things that we want to believe, the things that we do believe. And it's no different with the world, with the non-Christian world. We love, and the world loves, to have what they already believe. And so when this non-Christian world, opposed to God, is lapping up the teaching of people in particular, it should be a pause for thought, shouldn't it? That's the logic of verse 5 is this, this world that hates God but loves these teachers. Well, if that's the case, then how can these teachers be from God if the world loves them? And that's John's logic. If, if the world is consuming what they're saying and eager to listen to it, well, they should make you think rather than just lap up what they say. I just want to give us one example of that. There are plenty that we could think of. I mentioned a biography earlier. Um, well, the author of the biography I mentioned earlier happily identifies themselves as an evangelical. But the back of her biography is very revealing. You see, it's full of commendations. But who from? Who is recommending this book? Well, it's the world. It's not other well-known faithful, trusted, Bible-believing gospel preachers. It is TV celebrities, radio pundits, and even the UK media, well-known newspapers. It's being consumed by the world, lapped up, and they love it. And whilst we might not say it's conclusive, because it's not like the world only loves things that are wicked, it should make you think. Why do they love it? And why aren't other Christians supporting it? Now, I want to just close with two stories of two individuals that we've met on the marketplace recently uh, with our stall in Beckles, just to show you that this passage is important and it does matter. Firstly, I want to tell you about one lovely lady um, we met in the last couple of weeks who identifies as a Christian, uh, but told me recently that she started attending a Mormon church in Lowestoft. Now, she said to me she was well aware that they were teaching some slightly funny things, and they had a, a slightly different book as well as the Bible, and she said she, yeah, they, they didn't see to eye, eye to eye on everything, but 
They were loving and they were kind and they welcomed her. And so she kept going. Now what has God to say about this situation? And what would you say to her in that situation? Well, I hope for one thing you just want to make clear and make sure that she's really clear on, on who Jesus is and what he did. Uh, we're missing a, a trick if, if we start telling people what others are doing wrong without actually giving them the full portrait of the gospel, the Jesus of the Bible, the, the apostles' message. We want them to see the beauty of that. and So I would want her to be clear on that first. But can you see how relevant chapter 4 verse 1 is to her? Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Not everyone who says they speak for God speaks for God. So we had a chat about that. Because for her, the, the, the call to, and reminder is to identify imposters because there are people who pretend to speak for God but don't. And if they are imposters then they're worse than just botches. It's deadly. And she needs to get out of there. Just one last man. Another man we met recently uh, identified himself as a prophet, a prophet of God. And he told me story after story of how God had told him to do this or that and, and to say this or that to particular people inside and outside the church. Well, how wary we must be of someone who speaks with such boldness and confidence and demands other things of other people. This is just one example of where their me- if their message is contrary to the apostles or, or lapped up and loved by the non-Christian world, we just ought to back off, discern, test. Don't believe everything you hear. Of course, as we close, we have got two dangers to avoid. Two ways to fall off the horse. We, we mustn't be so guarded that we believe nothing and no one. But we mustn't be so gullible that we believe anything and anyone. We must discern. We must not believe everything, but we must test the spirits and hold fast to what is true and stand on the truth. John encourages the church, and it's an encouragement to close with for you. You, dear children, in verse 4, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I really hope to stand firm on the truth when there is so much around us that is wrong and false. It's the spirit of truth who lives in us. Let's thank God for that. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you so much for the truth of the gospel. It is so precious to us that we I hate the idea that anyone would destroy it and disfigure it and lead people away from it. We love the Lord Jesus and the way that he is portrayed as Christ come in the flesh, eternal God, wonderful saviour and close friend to us. Father, help us to hold firm to that, to know that gospel so well that we would never move on, it, on from it from a moment. And we thank you for the spirit living in us who is greater than the one who is in the world, Satan, who would long to drag us away. And we praise you that we have that spirit. Please would he continue to bear witness to the truth in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to turn now to pray. Uh, We're going to pray firstly for Daniel and Ellie Caballero, uh, who are our global mission partners, um, currently based in uh, Ireland, translating literature, Um, for the Spanish-speaking world as well. 
And then we're going to pray for identity, which is our, our evangelistic uh, kind of explorer's course for people looking into the Christian faith. So let's pray together. We thank you, Father, so much for um, how you have uh, brought Daniel and Ellie together. Uh, thank you for their marriage and their partnership in the gospel. And thank you for their work together to make Jesus known, uh, particularly in Ireland. Thank you for bringing them to that country, uh, overruling their plans uh, to be in South America and bringing them to Ireland uh, to serve you there. We thank you so much for the work that uh, you have given Daniel to do there in Douglas Baptist Church and in churches around uh, the country. We pray for him uh, and the church, especially as they look to gather again in July in smaller gatherings. Please give that church wisdom. Please give them protection and safety uh, from the virus. We pray there wouldn't be any further outbreak there. And we pray that simply meeting together as a church would be a, such a wonderful encouragement for these believers in Ireland, uh, feeling in many ways a minority uh, as uh, evangelicals in that country. Pray that it will give them great strength uh, to go out and to witness for Jesus there. We pray for Daniel's work uh, further afield as well. Thank you for the translation work that he continues to do, translating um, great books uh, that speak of the gospel and of the Lord Jesus and clarify truth from error. We pray that you'll help him uh, to work efficiently, to choose the right books. Pray that uh, publishing would continue at a um, uh, suitable cost. Uh, for those in the countries where they receive these books. And please, would you strengthen the church, particularly in South America and Hispanic-speaking uh, countries, uh, as they receive these books, as pastors uh, lap up the truth. We pray that they would bear strong witness to Jesus because of this literature. And we pray also for Ellie. Uh, Father, thank you for the work that she has had um, in one of the hotels nearby in Ireland. Um, we ask that uh, you might keep her trusting you and content uh, when her future in that role looks uncertain with the hospitality industry uh, really struggling in the current restrictions. We pray that her job might open up for her again, but if it doesn't, that you'd provide a suitable income for them both to keep them there and keep them provided for. Finally, Father, we pray uh, closer to home for identity, our uh, Explorers course on a Wednesday. Thank you so much for a good start this week. Thank you for uh, the seven people who attended, for those four people uh, who wouldn't call themselves Christian. Uh, we thank you that they were there. Thank you that they heard of uh, the revelation of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Thank you that the guessing games are over and we pray that they would come back this week to learn more of what this God is like and what he's come to do. We pray for Christians as well on the course, that for them this will be an encouragement, uh, firstly that their friends are interested in coming along, but also would it equip them uh, in confidence in the gospel and an ability to speak of it persuasively and to contend for the faith and to share the Lord Jesus with those they know. We pray, um, as we have done, that we would have people coming back uh, each week for the next few weeks and above all, that people would come to a new life, uh, crossing from death to life as they hear the words of Jesus. We pray for, particularly for two people uh, looking for a light bulb moment in many ways. We ask that you would show them clearly the truth of the gospel and that they might believe in Jesus and have life in his name. Uh, we pray this for Jesus' glory. Amen. Well, 
We've talked in many ways about the sobering aspects of uh, life for a Christian. John has said, test the spirits, work out what is true from working out what is wrong. And we're going to sing now uh, of this gospel that we believe. Because, of course, the, the best way to be clear on what is wrong is to be clear and compelled by what is true. And we're going to sing together, Great is the Gospel of our Glorious God. If you'd like to carry on singing after the service, we've put together, as we have done in, in the past weeks, a playlist for morning and evening 
on YouTube. You'll find that if you type in Beckles Baptist Church on YouTube in the search engine. And I hope you enjoy listening to those songs and singing along to them. I just want to flag up to you a couple of things coming up this week. Firstly, on Wednesday evening, again, it's the second session of Identity. Uh, our Explorers course It's not too late to join in. Uh, whether you're a Christian who's wanting to get clearer on the gospel um, or someone who's looking into the Christian faith and thinking, I'm not quite sure who, who I am, why I'm here, or, or who God is and what, what he's saying, uh, this will be a great way to find out a bit more. And one of the highlights of the course, as we found on Wednesday, is that it takes also time to answer some of the bigger questions and objections that people might have. Last week it was Christians and science, how do the two fit? And this week, it is, what about other religions? What are we to make of them? If you want to find out more or to sign up, please email me on the link below. On Thursday, instead of our normal home groups, we are meeting for our members' meeting. Now, as we said last week, this is one of the few meetings in the church calendar that is only for church members. If you're a church member, you should have received an email or a letter already notifying you about what's happening and how you can join us. If you haven't, please get in touch uh, with Tom or myself. And finally, just to flag up to you what's happening next week. Uh, We hope that everyone who's a regular member of the church congregation will already have heard this, so it shouldn't be anything new. But clearly, there have been some significant changes uh, in our country and therefore in our church life too. And the biggest change is this, with restrictions lifting and uh, extensive guidance given by the government, uh, we've decided as a church that we want to meet uh, publicly together whilst we can. Uh, For all who feel able, that's what we're planning to do on July the 12th. Uh, There will be more details on the website which you can look at for yourself again, uh, but we'll be having a service at 9.15 and at 11.15 in the church building. Uh, The idea is that these are duplicate services, so they repeat one another. Uh, They're all age, so the idea is that children will be able to sit with their families. Um, If that's not possible and you think uh, you might need to go out for a creche, it will be self-care and you'll need to bring your own toys. Uh, But we'd love to have you there as a family anyway, if you can. Now, clearly, we've said this is for people who feel able to come and there'll be many in our church who currently don't feel that is right. And we want to assure you that we want to love you and keep you involved in the whole thing. Uh, We will be continuing with our online services. What you'll find is that the service times have slightly changed. Uh, we will be having a service at 11.15 on YouTube. It's pre-recorded. It will be much the same as the service in person uh, on a Sunday morning in the church building. And we hope that feels, helps you feel connected to what we are doing. Um, one other thing to say is that because of the significant changes that are happening in the next few weeks and months, uh, we've decided not to have an evening service for now. Um, and that won't be online either. And what we're going to do instead is have a prayer meeting online each week uh, for 30 to 45 minutes, uh, a chance just to get together and to pray briefly. Uh, more details will be coming about that, uh, it be sent to you in the, in the week ahead. Let's pray as we finish our time together. We thank you, Father, that we have been uh, taught the truth by the spirit of truth. I thank you that he is uh, in us, Thank you that he brings to mind the truth. Thank you that he brings to our conviction and trust the truth of the gospel. We pray, Father, that we might feel the presence of the Lord Jesus by his spirit this week. We pray that we might be more convinced of the truth of the gospel this week. 
And we ask that you might give us power by your spirit to witness to Jesus this week too. Please transform us and use us and send us out today. In Jesus' name and for his glory in Beckles and beyond we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us.